Hello and welcome to another episode of I'd Rather Be, a podcast about the passions we hold and the reasons we hold them. The passions vary, but the reasons we love them are similar. And in those similarities, we can find common points of connection and shared experiences. I'm Katya Rucker, your host, and I created this show because I felt like we talk about what we do too much and what we love to do too little. And I believe that who we are has a lot more to do with what we love than any job title. That being said, there are those rare occasions where what we love to do and what we make money doing are the same thing. And this season on the show, I've been seeking out this archetype of a guest, someone who discovered a passion and was willing to put everything on the line to make their passion their life. To be clear, I'm a passion advocate, and I hold no opinion about whether there should be a relationship between our passions and our livelihood. My goal in putting out these stories is to show the many ways people find the time to do what they love. And with that, let's talk energy, personal empowerment, and chakras with Nicole Burrell and I'd Rather Be Practicing Yoga. Nicole discovered yoga while living in Singapore in 1999. She had a tight hamstring, and a trainer at her gym recommended she drop into a yoga class. So I rolled into the class, it's packed and nobody has yoga mats. Like I said, everybody just has the gym towels and they were thrown down all like mixed match, like no rows. And I really have to say, I was one of those people that like took my first yoga class and was like, oh yeah, this is it. So Nicole kept going back to yoga. And while she was still living in Singapore, she gave birth to her first child. Soon after that, she moved back to the States, and any time she could find a babysitter, she'd head to a yoga class. You know, it was just it was just this thing that I did, but I don't think I realized how important it was until I had my second son and just was just in the throes. My husband traveled all the time. I like never had time away from the kids. And you know, you get to that point where I was like, I feel like I really kind of lost myself. And I was like, there's something missing. And it was just like very clear. It was like, you got to go back to the gym. You got to go back to yoga. And that's what she did. Nicole found a studio near her house and spent the next few years becoming a serious practitioner. This was also the early days of Facebook. And so she started a page that she called the Sassy Yogini. And my whole purpose of that was to like unite people in the yoga community. And so if there was a new studio opening or a special event, I would go. So in, you know, the the five or six years that I was really in, intense with that, I ended up going to almost like every yoga studio in the area, uh, all these yoga events. And uh, it just it, it, it just kind of became, you know, everything that I do and, and I was teaching and, and studios and, you know, here we are. <laughs> Today, Nicole runs Chakra Power Yoga, which is her own collection of studios in the greater Boston area. The pandemic was hard on small businesses, especially yoga studios. But thanks to the dedication and loyalty of the community she's built, Nicole has managed to expand from three to four studios in 2021. So over the last 20 years, she's gone from yoga student to teacher of teachers. She believes in the practice enough to have committed so much of her time to bringing it to others. I wanted to know why. 
What made yoga stand apart from anything else Nicole had tried? I know it was wheel pose, right? Like a full back bend, you know? And I think I remember being like, I can do this. So if, if I have to kind of think about what the difference was or the spark was, it would probably be the the sort of the, the mental empowerment of it, that even if I was lifting weights or trying to, you know, run longer, it's like I used a different part of my willpower, you know, so like lifting or doing other things in the gym always kind of felt like willpower. And uh, yoga felt like empowerment and personal power. I mean, like on this like very sort of cellular level that it was like, oh, this is, this is different. Some people view yoga like any other kind of workout. That's how I treated it when I was looking for safe ways to exercise in my last few months of pregnancy. But clearly, Nicole has come to learn and teach yoga as going so far beyond the physical, tapping into emotions and even spirituality. So what is it about yoga that makes it so much more than a way to exercise? What yoga does that's really different is it doesn't just think about muscles uh, or parts of the body. And it's really not, its goal isn't an aesthetic. So most sports, it's like, if you're going to play football, you either need to get really good at tackling or throwing the ball or running. Um, and so you train for a performance and in a lot of times, you know, gyms or, or fitness facilities, you're training for an aesthetic, you know, people want to have, you know, a, this body type or that body type or lose weight or do this and that. And, and what yoga really does, I mean, just like so skillfully is it is looking to sort of balance all of the energy in the body. And I think when people hear that word, they think it's very new agey, but we have so much neuroscience right now. And so much like understanding of like, wow, like there's nerve ganglia in the body and, um, and people store different like emotions and experiences in their bodies in different places. And it is a little bit foreign that I, that, that concept is very foreign to Westerners, which is why when a lot of people start practicing yoga, they're like, what is happening to me? Nicole just referenced nerve ganglia, which are part of our peripheral nervous system. And here's how yoga comes into play. Think about our peripheral nervous system as having two branches, one for voluntary movements and the other for involuntary movements. The somatic nervous system is voluntary, like using our muscles to walk or lift weights. The autonomic nervous system is involuntary, like digestion and heart rate. And within this involuntary autonomic system, we have two more branches. Think of these as the fight or flight branch and the rest and digest branch. These are our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. And there's research pointing to the ways yoga can bring these two involuntary systems into balance, which also helps balance our emotions, lowering anxiety, reducing fatigue, and giving us that beautiful sense of being both calm and alert at the same time. And so what yoga really does is, is it, it takes into consideration the way that our thoughts, our emotions, our, our connections to other people and our whole way of existing, like it, it doesn't put those things in your head. It actually respects where they are in your body, which is why a yoga pose or an adjustment on a student uh, can just kind of make them burst out crying for no reason. Nicole thinks about yoga poses and eliciting these emotional responses in the context of the seven chakras, or the energy centers beginning with the root at the base of our spines and ending with the crown at the top of our heads. But don't think about the chakras super literally, she tells me. 
this this idea of chakras is just a way of understanding and organizing and communicating about what human bodies already do. You know, so it is the thing, the, the way I think that makes it the easiest is people really do understand the heart chakra. They understand that like when there's grief and when there's love, like certain things happen in their body. Like why when you're nervous or excited about something, do you feel that everybody mm. feels butterflies in their stomach? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so and so when you start to really kind of study into the chakras and stuff, you realize that that we use so much metaphor that that lines up with the organizational system of the chakras, and, and don't even realize, you know, you know, kind of how we do it, you know, and mm. uh, you know, like the root chakra just kind of roots you, and, and people get it. They're like, oh, he's stuck in the mud, you know, his yeah, his, yeah. his feet are on the ground, and um, and all of the energy that that right. go- correlates are is it, you know is the same as the metaphors that we use all of the time. Think about the chakras like wheels, Nicole tells me. So energy can move up them and down them. Certain poses can unlock or move energy through specific parts of the body. Like a back bend is very heart opening. Pigeon pose helps move energy through the hips. And this is the thing about yoga Nicole is most passionate about. It's so fascinating. And I, and I don't think most people walking around realize how much agency they actually have in in sorting themselves out you know they kind of put themselves in mental cages a lot and are wondering why don't I feel well why do I keep you know going down the same path or, or, or you know copying the same behavior why can't I shake this certain thing and oftentimes like I can put somebody in a pose and get it gone, you know? So it's really, it's, it's really cool, but it's almost like we're all, we all have this like magic uh, abilities, right? Like we all have these, like, like this whole magic kit. And, um, and most people just, they don't think that they have it. And, and it's what's so cool about, about people coming to yoga and really starting to realize that, that they can, they can heal themselves. They can balance themselves. They can, um, you know, reconcile things with themselves that oftentimes like talk therapy doesn't do because you can't talk something, you know, out of your hamstring, but when it's there, it's there and you can move it out. And it's almost like we don't, we don't always realize that moving our bodies can help us with our brains, but that's like the very first thing that it says in the yoga sutras. First, it says, we're going to talk about yoga. And the second one basically says yoga can help you sort out the swirling of your mind. This is where yoga goes beyond sitting and meditating. It's the movement that has the power to heal when you sequence that movement intentionally, Nicole tells me. And she's had the privilege to witness a lot of this healing in members of her yoga community who are in some form of recovery. Uh, we work with a lot, a lot of people in um, in recovery from alcohol, a lot of people in recovery from um, heroin, uh, a lot of people in recovery from eating disorders. Uh, you know, they say we're all in recovery from something, but that community in particular, because uh, for for most people in recovery, they were using to numb something that they hadn't mm-hmm. necessarily dealt with. And, uh, and yoga gives you all these sort of opportunities uh, to, to kind of cope, you know, like you can go into a yoga class and just have a good time. And then one day you can be like, Oh no, I'm ready to bend a little deeper into my knee and kind of like, 
let that go or reconcile it. And, and I think we think we have to talk through everything and remember everything and sort it out. And sometimes yoga just gives you permission to like call 1-800-JUNK removal, you know, where like people will do something and they're like, oh my God, I just forgave somebody. And I was like, well, of course you did because like you had that stuck over here and you just went like that with your arm and there it goes, you know? So, um, yeah. so yeah, so it's, it's the practice of yoga, but it very much also is, is the community. In describing the strength of the community in her yoga studios, Nicole tells me the energy is palpable. People show up for each other, not just for themselves. It's a testament to how much we all need each other and how important it is to be with other people who are in the process of healing while we're in the process of healing. And during the pandemic, Nicole felt the weight of that need for healing in her community even more acutely. It's a big responsibility. Yeah. In the last two years on the daily, people would email me. They would call me. Uh, they would stop me after class. And they were like, you have no idea that this and you staying open has completely saved my life. And, you know, you don't know what anybody's going through. Until yeah. you're a yoga teacher, then you know what everybody's going through. Yeah. You know, I mean, th- this this past few years has beaten everybody up in, in more ways than I think most people, you know, really, unless you are like a yoga teacher or you are, you know, a, a, a clergy person um, or a therapist or maybe somebody that does podcasts, right? Um, <laughs> it, people have just gone through a lot. And, and I've just been like, I have to keep doing this uh, so that people have it. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, Nicole is the archetype of a guest who has discovered a passion and gone all in. And it's this dedication that has helped her persevere through the financial setbacks that came with the restrictions preventing in-person gatherings for so many months. Yeah, like if, if, if you're not making money off of something, but it's your life work, like that will fill in the gaps of something. So it's, you know, if you're just doing something for the money and, and we've, we've all seen this, if you were just in it for the money and, you know, you're, 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 you're not making any, um, what, what keeps you going? And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's your passion. So we've learned that Nicole's passion for yoga is rooted in its unique ability to heal the body and mind through intentionally sequenced movements and poses. To dig a little deeper into what this actually looks like, I asked about a typical yoga session Nicole might lead. She tells me a good session is going to start with the root chakra, seated or in child's pose, to give people the chance to get grounded, to feel safe. You know, root chakra, I always think is kind of like this. Uh, I'm here and here I am. Mm-hmm. Need this, this place where the teacher's voice is going to be low and the music isn't going to be, you know, all over the place yet. And, and when you feel like you have people, right? Uh, and you can do this with poses. <clears throat> you can do this with the way that you're speaking. You can do this with your dharma. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, uh, but then you, you get up to hips and that's where you get, that's where you get flowy and that's where you get fluid and that's where you get creative and that's where you move stuff around and that's where, you know, things sort of start to come alive. So then the next segment of class, you know, the music would pick up, the teacher's voice would pick up, the, the, the movements would pick up. You'd, you'd be kind of having fun with stuff. And if you're having fun with all the movement and you're doing a lot of heart opening, that's going to be different than if you're having fun with all the movement and you're bringing it back down to the ground, right? You kind of see how there's, there's all these different sort of shades. Um, and then, you know, you get into your core and that's where strength is. So there's a certain point in class where you're like, people like, it, like, you know, I was saying to my class the other day, everybody was in plague and they're all, and I was like, why are you doubting that you can do something that you're already succeeding at? 
right? Like you're, you're doing this. And so there's a certain point where, where people need to feel, to, to feel strong, to feel sorted, to feel capable. Um, and then once you've got that, you can get into your heart, right? You can get into opening. You can get into, to agency to kind of, to know how you want to be in the world, right? But in order to do that, you, you have to know where, you have to get your feet on the ground and, and you have to have moved things and, and you have to have boundaries, right? If you know, boundaries, opening your heart's not a good idea. Right? Is it? No. You want an open heart? You need a strong backbone. Building that strong backbone, those boundaries, is a lesson we can learn the easy way or the hard way, Nicole tells me. We have to do the work on the lower chakras in order to authentically move through the higher chakras from the throat chakra on up. There's a reason your throat is on top of your heart, she says. When you've done the work to open your heart, which you can think of both physically through poses and energetically through chakras, you're able to speak from a place of truth and of honesty. You're able to have hard conversations. So progressing through poses focused on the lower chakras is what gives us the space to feel less cluttered and distracted in our minds along those upper chakras of throat, third eye, and crown. Classes end with the Shavasana pose, which is simply lying on your back with your arms out to the sides. It's a chance to arrive into a sense of stillness. Almost all of us, the second we stop moving, we reach for something. If it's a book, if it's a phone, if it's something to eat or drink, if it's something that we shouldn't be drinking, um, (laughs) (laughs) pot's legal these days. Um, But most people reach for something, you know, the the remote control. And at the end of the yoga class, one of the coolest things is that people can tap into their parasympathetic nervous system uh, without needing to reach for something. They're just in a twist and they're like, right? Mm -hmm. And, And generally speaking, we don't spend a lot of time there. You know, maybe in the bathtub, but like rarely, like it's not a daily occurrence that people rest and shut their brains off at the same time. And when you do that work, that's really when you tap into third eye, which is, which is the uh, sixth of the chakras, if you're going up from the the floor up. And then Shavasana is, the intention of Shavasana is to give people the opportunity to kind of be at one uh, like with the, with the universe, you know, when my, uh, when my oldest son was, he was like seven years old. <laughs> he told me to stop the car and we were driving once. He's a cute kid. And he said, mom, I think I figured out God. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll lower the radio for this one. And he said, I think God's like the piece of paper and the world is everything that got drawn on it. And I was like, mm, yeah, kid, you know, Yogi's daughter, Yogi's son here. But that I feel like is Shavasana when people start to realize like, oh, I'm laying here and I am like a drawing on this, on this piece of paper that, 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 that the whole world is on. Uh, I mean, again, that's the, ide- the ideal sensation of Shavasana. A lot of people are doing their shopping list, which is also sometimes what you're going to be doing uh, right. because you're a normal human. And your nervous yeah. system is like, we need to go shopping. We can't really get into the, the, to the, the crown chakra today, sister. In general, a sequenced vinyasa or flow class will follow the chakra line of the body from bottom to top. But to Nicole's point about making that mental shopping list while laying in that final shavasana pose, we're not always in a time or place where we can truly detach from reality and contemplate ourselves as these drawings on the piece of paper that is the universe around us. So Nicole and the practitioners at her studios will design their classes differently based on what they feel the group needs. 
So usually in a class, we'll kind of mix stuff in and then like land it, you know, so you can, you can kind of, you know, mastermind what you're doing. And so if you need people to get really kind of grounded someplace, you know, you can teach the class and kind of keep going back to root stuff so that when you leave the class, the people are left very grounded. Um, and if people are leaving the class, it's like a bachelorette party, you know, you, you want to leave them kind of carbonated and percolated. And you, you kind of do that by accessing a lot of hip energy and a lot of heart energy. It's almost like a layer right. cake, right? So like, yeah. you know, you, you, your core and your root are like the cake and like then the frosting is like the hips and the heart, right? And the, and the third eye. Uh, so you, you, you throw a little bit more stuff that is playful and opening in, in those areas rather than... Um, you know, like eagle pose, you know, eagle pose, you have one foot on the ground, your legs are crossed, your arms are crossed in front of your heart, you're pulled in, you're tucked in. And that's an exceptionally powerful pose. It, it really pulls everything into the core and, and it protects the, it protects the front of the heart and it, it protects the hips with strength. So this is a pose that can be exceptionally effective when people really need to protect themselves and know that they're strong, know that they can kind of have only one foot on the ground and, and, and still be protecting themselves. But if you walk around like eagle pose all the time, like you're not going to be able to be creative and you're not going to be able to be open in your heart. So you put these poses in and you kind of mix them up and you serve them so that you're giving people hopefully something that is well-balanced, but it's always going to have a little bit of a flavor and a little bit of a flair to it. Nicole reminds me that ultimately yoga is manipulating our nervous systems into relaxation. We can't think ourselves out of a panic attack, but we can breathe and move ourselves out of a panic attack. Nicole has devoted her life to helping people whose systems are hijacked in some way, like through addiction. And in doing this work, she tells me the greatest lesson yoga has taught her is compassion. It has made me so incredibly uh, compassionate um, to 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 the to the human to human existence i mean it, humans are are, are are so incredibly brave and so incredibly courageous and so incredibly resilient. And for some crazy reason, we don't give ourselves anywhere near credit. But um, but I, I've taught a lot of people. I've seen a lot of bodies. I've touched a lot of people. And um, and 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 there's no exception to to just how amazed I am by everyone. Nicole extends this compassion far and wide. We got to talking about how even when people act in a way that is harmful to themselves or others, there's a reason that may not even be possible to explain. And sometimes it's a reason in this lifetime. And I, I truly believe that that it's sometimes is a reason from another lifetime. And, and again, I don't mean that in this new agey way. We're learning mm-hmm, so much mm-hmm. about epigenetics and actually yeah. how much we pass on. Um, I, there was a study with glowworms. You know the study with the glowworms where they like shocked a bunch. So they shocked a bunch of glowworms, and their tails lit up when they heard a certain sound. Very Pavlov's dogs, and so um, then they bred the bred the glowworms as you do when you're doing these kind of experiences, and found for eleven generations when they played that sounds, the glowworms had a nervous system reaction. Um, uh, to a trauma, um, and and then by the twelfth, that had kind of cleared from the system. These are glowworms. 
Yeah. We are quite a bit more sophisticated. The amount of information that we pass on in our DNA and in, in, you know, the field of epigenetics, which is basically like you have your genes, but they're not like stuck. Like things can kind of change and adjust. Yeah. And um, I mean, we're kind of weak. We've been walking around on this planet for however long they say we've been walking around. And it's because of our, our this immense ability to adapt. Uh, but there's But there's also generational trauma. And there's people that are walking around and they can't get out of reacting to something that didn't even happen to them. And it's confusing and it's scary. And we don't have these conversations. And a lot of people are growing up without like healthy food that they need, without support systems that they need um, in, um, in, in underserved areas or just, you know, and, and, and you see them when, when they come to a yoga class, girl, you see them because all of a sudden they're, they're doing something and they're like, what just happened? And I'm like, you just mm-hmm. kind of moved around something that that wasn't even yours. Epigenetics is the study of how genes are expressed. While we can't change our DNA, the way our body reads our DNA sequence depends on things like our behavior, such as whether we have a healthy diet, and our environment, such as whether we're exposed to trauma. I looked into this glowworm study, which happened in 2017, and sure enough, these epigenetic memories existed across 14 generations of worms, not just 11. But rather than shocking the worms and tracing that trauma through a sound, the scientists studied temperature change in the worms' containers and correlated that with how much the worms glowed. And indeed, this environmentally induced genetic expression continued for 14 generations. While it's hard to study that many generations of humans, There is some research into the epigenetics of the descendants of both Holocaust survivors and survivors of the Dutch famine of the mid-1940s. So I'm convinced Nicole is on to something. And as she and I neared the end of our conversation, I asked if she had any recommendations for further learning about yoga. There, if anybody's looking, there's a book, it's called Heart of Yoga by Desika Char. And I think what it describes about yoga the, the, the most profoundly is that yoga can help anybody with anything, but it's like saying food can help anybody with anything. You know, like you can't just go to a restaurant and be like, oh, that was too spicy because like some food's spicy and some people need spicy food. Uh, but, but generally speaking, the practice of yoga, whether it is the philosophy of it, the meditation components of it, the movement modality of it, um, or just kind of studying the, 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 the sort of the history and the philosophy of it, uh, or the neurology of it, which is described in a book that's called Buddha's Brain, which was written by a couple of neurologists that basically showed why yoga works. Um, that it is, it is and, and I've seen it and I do it without a doubt, able to help almost anybody with almost anything that ails them. Um, and uh, like in a whole body way. So if if you feel like you're under a spell or if you feel like, you know, uh, you just kind of can't even with something or other, like I always say, maybe yoga would help because there's something, there is one part of it, an expression of it, um, a school of it, uh, that, that can bring you to balance. Um, cause that's what most people are missing. They're just like, why am I off kilter? Why am I off balance? Why don't I feel good? And if you don't feel good in your body, you can't feel good anywhere. And that's Nicole's mission, to help people feel good in their bodies through yoga so they can have agency and live their best lives. 
Nicole's studios are called Chakra Power Yoga, and they're all in the greater Boston area. Thanks so much to Nicole for sharing her passion for yoga on the I'd Rather Be podcast. If you're enjoying the show, the best way you can help it grow is by sharing it with friends or colleagues who also listen to podcasts. And you can stay up to date by following I'd Rather Be podcast on Instagram. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Katia Rucker. Show notes and the full transcript for this episode can be found at idratherbepodcast.com. Have a great week, and thanks for listening.